Please turn with me to the book of Psalms, Psalm chapter 1. It's where we're going to begin our study of the Psalms for the summer this morning. And how I'd like to begin actually this morning, I know uh, we each have different translations, so what I'd like for us to do is to read together uh, Psalm chapter 1. I put uh, the translation I use up here on the screen so we can all read that together. So let's begin. How blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law he meditates day and night. He will be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. And whatever he does, he prospers. Wicked are not so, but they are like chaff, which the wind drives away. Good. Therefore, hold on. Technical difficulties. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Two great callings that the church has on it. Worship and witness. And a couple weeks ago, Blake wrapped up our study of the book of Matthew with the Great Commission. Acts chapter 1, Matthew chapter 8, Luke chapter 24, Mark chapter 14. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Bear witness. Right? You shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the other, uttermost parts of the earth. Church, we are left here on earth so that we would bear witness, but the power for our witness comes from our worship. Right? To the degree that we are growing deep in our love for Jesus Christ and our appreciation of Father, Son, and Spirit as they truly are and as they truly exist, our hearts are overflowing in our desire that others would also have the opportunity to worship Him. Not just now, but forever. So worship, in a sense, is foundational for witness. Two great callings of the church, worship and witness. But worship is foundational. So as we grow as worshipers, right, as we improve our capacity to really genuinely appreciate God, also our witness will become more powerful in our community, on the campus, throughout the world. So this summer, we're going to talk a lot about worship. We're going to go back to the, the Jewish hymn book, so to speak, right? 150 psalms of worship. The word psalm is actually from a Greek word, which means song. The Jewish title is praise. It's, uh, in a sense, it's the Jewish playlist, right? It's the best of the best. This is how they learned how to worship and how they taught subsequent generations how to worship, right? Wide variety of songs, a wide variety of musical instruments that are played and meters that are expressed, wide variety of themes. You have psalms of praise and thanksgiving and then psalms of lament and sorrow, You have psalms that are imprecatory. God, bring justice on the earth. But the book of Psalms actually begins with a wisdom song. It's a wisdom song, and you'll you'll kind of hear echoes in a sense of Proverbs. As the hymn book opens up, it basically is declaring this, kind of setting the stage for all of the rest of the songs that are going to, to be written. It's this, life works this way, and life doesn't work that way. It's really very simple. There's a pathway of righteousness and there's a pathway of wickedness. And God has rigged the universe that life will work this way, but life will not work that way. And it may not be immediate that you see it, but if you follow the path of righteousness, ultimately, life will work well. If not immediately in this lifetime, but forever. And if you follow the pathway of wickedness, maybe not immediately, but eventually life will be destroyed. It just won't work 
this way. So you follow this path or you follow this path. And in each and every day you make a choice, right? And we see this in our everyday lives, don't we? Or we see little choices that we make that have consequences. Uh, I want to illustrate for you uh, a little, little story from my family's history, kind of from the, the, the lore of a previous generation of my family. My dad's a great storyteller, and uh, I remember him telling me this story as a little kid. Uh, he had an uncle, Marlon. So my great-uncle, Marlon, and my grandfather, Ivan, had a, a road-building bu- business, right? They would, they would uh, crush gravel and spread it out for roads and dams and that kind of thing, and uh, this is in Washington State. They got a contract to help rebuild a dam in the Skagit Valley. So they went up to the gravel pit in the mountains that they used, and they were jamming uh, dynamite into the side of the mountain and blowing it out, and gravel would come down, and they'd crush it and bring it back and build the roads. It was about a three-month job. And uh, they discovered uh, one morning that some vandals had been coming up and messing with their equipment. Right, They're pouring sand into down into the exhaust pipes, and they're doing all kinds of nasty stuff. And so my Uncle Marlin... Uh, got his sleeping bag and his shotgun. And he decided that he would sleep out that night and catch the vandals, right? And this is, there are a lot of Uncle Marlin stories, right? very typical. Uncle Marlin's up there in his sleeping bag and his shotgun. He hears the vandals coming up. He wakes up. And what he discovers is this particular evening they were not vandalizing. They were going to steal his diesel fuel. And so they pulled their car up to the tank and they began filling their car up with diesel. And if you know anything about engines, right, this is a gas engine and they're filling it up with diesel. So my Uncle Marlin just sat up on his perch with his shotgun and watched them fill their car up with diesel, knowing they wouldn't get very far because a gas engine doesn't run on diesel. It's just going to get clogged up and it's going to stop. So next morning, my dad and his dad and his father, my grandfather, were driving up to meet Uncle Marlin and Marlin was coming down. And sure enough, there was the car of the vandals stopped on the side of the road. They'd had to walk out of the mountains to get home. And so uh, my dad was actually, again, this is another generation. My dad was about 12 years old. Uncle Marlin said, get in the bulldozer at age 12, and, uh, and pulled the car up to the gravel pit. So my dad pulled the car up to the gravel pit. Marlon got in the bulldozer, and he piled a 12-foot-high wall of gravel all the way around that car. So the job lasted about three months. For three months, that car sat inside a 12-foot-high wall of gravel. Now, the point of my illustration is not, here's a good way to resolve conflict. All right? point of my illustration is this. Life works this way, but life doesn't work that way. You put diesel into a gas engine, it's not going to work, at least for very long. Life just doesn't work that way. Life works the way that God has described. In church, every single day, you and I will make choices to follow God's way or to try to find our own way. And that's really what Psalm 1 is all about. So let me read to you again Psalm chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. This is the path of blessing. How blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. He will be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither, and in whatever he does, he prospers. Now the first thing that I want you to observe is this. The life of blessing is actually possible. 
He said, how blessed is that man? How blessed is that woman? How blessed is that person? There is such a thing as the blessed life. It's the good life. It's not a bad life. It's a good life. What does that actually mean? Well, you know, it's something that we all long for, but I would argue most people don't really know how to define it exactly. And Jesus will say, most people miss this wonderful life that God has designed for us because they don't know what it is or where to find it. And so they try to figure out life on their own. And toward the end of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said this, Enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction. And there are many who enter through it. For the gate is small and the way is narrow that leads to life, abundant life, blessed life, and there are very few who find it. See, everybody is longing for it. Everybody is searching for it. Nobody wakes up in the morning and says, ah, I want a mediocre life, or I really want a bad life. No, we long for a great life, but our world doesn't know where to find it. And so they chase after all kinds of things that don't actually bring life, they bring destruction. So it's a waste of life. Remember a few years ago, I picked up a copy of Life Magazine. It was right before Life Magazine folded and went out of business. And the title was this, Lives Well Lived. And it was a series of short biographical sketches, Lives Well Lived. And on the cover was Kurt Cobain. Okay, for those of you who are my generation, around <laughs> my generation, you know who Kurt Cobain is. If you're younger, you may not even know who Kurt Cobain is. He was lead singer for grunge band Nirvana. Wrote a lot of really popular music, very well known, made a lot of money, addicted to heroin, and he took his life at age 27. And I I had to grab the magazine and see what they had to say. Lives well lived. On the cover is a man who took his own life at age 27. Now, I found it a little bit ironic that the name of his band is Nirvana. Right? Blessedness. Right? In the Eastern concept. This is the good life. And this is what our band is all about. See, everyone is looking for it. Everyone is searching for it. But very few find it. Why? Because they don't really know what is it exactly and how do I find it. And so they chase and chase and chase after their own way. And men and women of the church, if we listen to the world around us, we will be led astray. See, sometimes I think, church, we don't realize how genuinely countercultural we must be, we should be, if we want to live lives that are truly great lives. Listen to this verse from Malachi. It says, You have said, it is futile to serve God. What did we gain by carrying out his requirements? But now we call the arrogant blessed. Certainly evildoers prosper. Even those who challenge God escape. In other words, that's the mindset of the culture of the world is we can, in fact, create a great life completely apart from God. And God says, that is just not going to happen. In fact, remember, this is a wisdom psalm. And so what happens in a wisdom psalm is, there is there's warning that's given. And so he says, how blessed is the man, then he pauses for a moment and says, who doesn't go this way. Right? This is the way not to find life. And notice there's a progression. It says, blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked or stand in the path of sinners or sit in the seat of scoffers. He doesn't walk in the counsel. That is, he doesn't listen to the voice of the world. He's not listening 
and learning about life from the world. He's not standing in the path that is participating in that activity or sitting in the seat that is becoming fully identified, right? He doesn't, he doesn't listen, he doesn't participate, he doesn't identify. And notice the progression. Stand, walk, stand, sit. He's not listening, he's not participating, he's not identifying. And what that illustrates is a progression that happens to everyone who chooses the path away from God. And no one wakes up one morning and says, you know, I'm living really wisely. I think today I would like to destroy my life. (laughs) Who Who does that? Nobody does that. What happens is, even for believers, we are tempted to make just small compromises, just little steps. And the Spirit is constantly speaking, saying, stop, stop right there. Stop and listen and evaluate. Are you, in fact, on the right path? Do you really understand what, what is it that God has to offer you? What is the, the life that is blessed? Okay, maybe we need to stop for a moment ourselves and say, what is it? What do we mean when we talk about a blessing or a blessed life? It's an interesting word. Uh, the word for blessing that's used here in Psalms is used actually 44 times in the Old Testament. 26 of those are in the Psalms. And blessing, in a sense, really operates at two levels. As described here in Psalm chapter 1, there's blessing that is a consequence of just making good choices. It's, again, it's proverbial. right? You make these kind of choices. You, you eat well and exercise. Generally, your life is going to be longer. You work hard and you're diligent and you save money. Well, you're probably not going to end up in poverty. These are just consequences of making good choices, little choices all along the way of your life. Your life turns out better that way. Turn with me to Psalm chapter 128. There's a description of this sense of uh, blessing from God. Psalm 128. Psalm 128 is part of what's called the Psalms of Ascent. These are the Psalms that Jews would sing as they're walking up toward Jerusalem, getting ready to spend a week in worship in Jerusalem, right? These are the, the, the preparatory songs, getting their hearts right before the Lord. Psalm 128. It says, how blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in his ways. When you shall eat of the fruit of your hands, you will be happy and it will be well with you. Your wife shall be like a fruitful vine within your house, your children like olive plants around your table. Behold, for thus shall the man be blessed who fears the Lord. The Lord bless you from Zion and may you see the prosperity of Jerusalem all the days of your life. Indeed, may you see your children's children. Peace be upon Israel. Right? That's describing the natural consequences of a life well lived. But Christians, you know from personal experience, even when you make lots of good decisions and even lots of good decisions all in a row, life doesn't always turn out perfectly, does it? So then, can you still experience blessing? I want you to keep your place here marked in the Psalms and turn to Matthew chapter 5, Sermon on the Mount. Jesus picks up this incredibly important theme of blessing as he begins his most important sermon, Matthew chapter 5, and I want you to keep in your mind the comparison, the description of blessing in Psalm 128 and Matthew chapter 5, verse 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the gentle, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. 
Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are you when you have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for yours is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward in heaven is great. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Jesus says this, blessed are the poor. Blessed are the persecuted. Now that's not exactly the same kind of blessing as he's talking about in Psalm 128, is he? Right, so there, there's, there's blessing in a sense on two levels. There, there's this earthly blessing, kind of the natural consequences for making wise choices. But even when you do that, life doesn't always turn out right. In fact, sometimes when you follow God, what happens is the world around you tries to crush you. And Jesus says, you're still blessed. You're still blessed because you know that you are following the pathway of God. And you can experience joy and peace and satisfaction. And you can have a life that is fruitful and beneficial to others. And you know that at the end of all that, even if you are suffering, you have life that lasts forever where there's no tears or sorrow or suffering whatsoever. That's a life that's solid and secure. That's the blessed life. In fact, in the book of Psalms, the ultimate blessing is just God. The ultimate blessing is is having God and knowing you're rightly related to God. Go back to the book of Psalms again in chapter 84. Psalm 84, verse 1. How lovely are your dwelling places, O Lord of hosts! My soul longed and even yearned for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh sing for joy to the living God. The bird also has found a house and a swallow a nest for herself where she may lay her young. Even your altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God. How blessed are those who dwell in your house. They are forever praising you. What is blessing? Blessing is knowing I'm I'm completely rightly related to God and I'm walking on his path. And much of the time that really works out well in this life. And even when it doesn't, I know that I have the favor of God upon me. I have the smile of God in the way that I'm choosing to live my life. I'm, I'm eternally aligned with the way that God has designed the universe. Now turn back to Psalm chapter 1, verse 3, and let's read this description. The person who is blessed will be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither, and in whatever he does, he prospers. He'll be like a tree. He's planted by streams or by the canals of water, right? The the rivers didn't flow continuously other than the Jordan in all of Israel. And so the tree that was intentionally placed by a canal would have a continuous supply. And the psalmist is saying this, the one who is choosing to live according to the pattern that God has established in the universe for how life should work will be continuously supplied by God. It will yield its fruit in its season. It's a life that will overflow in blessing to the lives of others. That is, not necessarily fixing all of their circumstances or making all of their circumstances pleasant, but drawing them into a right relationship with the God who has created the universe. It yields its fruit in its season. Its leaf does not wither. When the drought actually does come, this is one who will endure. It will not not die. It will not shrivel. But will remain resolute. And in whatever he does... He prospers, not necessarily physically and financially, 
but in a life that is always receiving the favor of God and is a blessing to others. How do you live such a life? The psalmist says, not this way. Don't listen to the world. Instead, listen to the voice of God. Verse 2. Instead, his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law, he meditates day and night. It's not here. right? Don't walk in the counsel of the wicked. Don't listen. Don't stand in their pathway. That is, don't live a life alongside of them. Don't sit in their seat. Don't identify with those who say, God's way is foolish. God's way doesn't work. We rejoice in those who live foolishly. Instead, his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. I love this description, Psalm chapter 119. David said, I shall run the way of your commandments, for you enlarge my heart. I'm going to run after you. Why? Because you've made my heart strong. In other words, this is not a, a casual exposure to the word of God. This is deep exposure. This is chasing hard after God. You know, I go out to uh, lunch almost every day of the week. Uh, I have lunch appointments, and whenever I go and have uh, barbecue, my wife always knows, right? I come home, and she says, oh, you went to Rudy's today, right? And I say, yeah, I went to Rudy's, right? Because barbecue, barbecue is like really, it's, a, it's more like an experience, right? You don't just eat barbecue, you live at barbecue. It's a cultural thing. I didn't know that until I moved from New York to Texas. I never had barbecue. Now I come to Texas and I realize this is a, this is a culture. This is a cult. It's a cult of barbecue. And if you, if you eat it, it will be in you and through you, right, for the entire day. I come home and she says, okay, I, I get it. You went, you went to Rudy's. I smell it on you. It's coming out of your pores and out of your clothes. It's, it's all through you. That's what it means to delight in the law of the Lord. Bible church people, we're, we're at risk. Because you come here and you get Blake Jennings, right? Once in a while you have a sub and you have to take it down a notch. And you get me, but that's okay. But week in and week out you get Blake Jennings. And I will tell you, Blake is one of the, the best teachers of the Bible that I've ever listened to. I don't like to listen to lots of podcasts. I like listening to Blake. I mean, Blake goes deep into the Word. He, he pulls it out. And there is a risk that you let Blake do all of that for you. This, is, this man meditates upon the word of God. And the idea is he, he murmurs over it literally or he chews on it. And the risk is that you let Blake do all of the murmuring and chewing for you. And he hands it up to you pre-digested, but you haven't taken it in right? and owned it for yourself. What transforms a life and gives you wisdom to live the blessed life, the good life? It's when you, 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 you go to barbecue. Right? You, you let it, the smoke seep into your clothes and your pores and your mind and your heart. Right? Not a casual acquaintance with the word of God, but you go deeply. So one of the things I would encourage you to do as we begin this study of the Psalms is uh, take each of the Psalms that we teach each Sunday and rewrite it in your own words. Now, you don't have to be a poet and it doesn't all have to rhyme. But if you stop and you force yourself to not say, okay, I, I went and I listened for 30 minutes and then I walked away, and I forgot. I remember one illustration, something about a bulldozer, right? No, instead you go back and you reread Psalm chapter 1. You say, let me, let me write it out. Because then I'm going to have to chew on it. I'm going to have to meditate. I'm going to have to murmur in my own heart and mind. That's going to allow it to sink deeply, right? That's, that's the right way, in a sense, to listen to a sermon. 
so that I can grow in wisdom and choose the path of life. How blessed is that man? How blessed is that woman? Even when drought comes, the leaf does not wither. On the other hand, he says, there's a path of of destruction. There's a way that seems right to man, but in the end, it is the way of death. Let's read again verse 4. It says, the wicked are not so. They're not like the righteous, but they are like chaff, which the wind drives away. Now, um, I realize that in one sense, many of us are farmers, right? Farmers fight, farmers fight, farmers farmers fight, right? I mean, you know, we're we're Aggies, but most of us didn't grow up on a farm, or if you did grow up on a farm, everything was mechanized. But this is an illustration that the psalmist used that everybody understood in his day, right? This 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 is the way that they separated the, the grain, wheat or barley or whatever cereal grain they were growing, from that which was worthless or the chaff. That they would harvest all of the grasses and then they would lay them out on a hard, flat surface, usually on the top of a, a hill or a knoll where the wind could come through and they would grind it. They would walk on it themselves or they would get an animal to drag a log behind and pull over the grain and it would break up the grass. And as it, that friction was going over the grass, the, the, the ears of of uh, the, the grain that they wanted to save would be, would be broken loose. And then they would take their pitchforks and they would throw the whole mess in the air on a windy day. And that which was worthless, the chaff, was gone. And the grain would fall to the earth and they'd gather up that which was valuable. It's a very, very vivid image. It says, you want to know what the life of the wicked is like? Well, it's, it's, it's like chaff. But the problem is that our world applauds chaff. Lives well lived. Really? I've never made the cover of any magazine. And there aren't tons of people necessarily that stand up and say, wow, lives well lived. Lives well lived. What what does that mean? Well, our world applauds the chaff. But the chaff, it's it's not worthwhile. It's it's worthless. It's ephemeral. You throw it up in in the air and what happens? The wind blows and it's, it's gone. Right? It's gone. Well, what's, what's a worthwhile thing to give your life to? The word tells you God endures forever. He always was and always will be. And in his wisdom and his kindness, he made creatures in his image. Designed to endure and live forever. And he values them so deeply that he gave his son for them. God is valuable God is enduring. The people that are made in his image, men and women, they are valuable. Bringing them together through the gospel of Jesus Christ, that's a valuable exercise. Reflecting the image of God in our lives when we create and we put things in order and we make beauty and we do all these things that reflect the the beauty of God's image within us, that's valuable. And we, we do all those things consciously aware that it's because of the image of God in us that allows us to do these things. We reflect his image and we speak his words, whether we do that uh, in our jobs and doctors and lawyers and teachers and moms and dads and husbands and wives, all of those things reflecting the image of God so people are drawn closer to the eternal and enduring God. That's not chaff. That's enduring. That's like the grain of wheat. And it can't be driven away by the wind. In fact, in uh, the book of Haggai, the Lord says, he says, yet once more I'm going to shake the heavens and the earth. When I shake the heavens and the earth, you know what's going to happen? All the chaff is going to fly off. 
And only that which is attached to my kingdom will endure and remain. So live for that, right? Live for that which actually matters. It's like, it's like planting pansies or planting an oak tree, right? Planting pansies or planting an oak tree. I, I, I don't want to offend any horticulturalists or people who you know, just love flowers and stuff, but pansies uh, drive the practical side of me a little bit crazy because you, you plant them, and this is Texas, then they burn up. And so I go, man, why, why put them in the ground for a few weeks and then heat, heat comes through and just burns them. I get it, they're pretty in the moment, but I mean, even their name betrays them. They're pansies, right? I don't, I don't have time for that, right? But if I plant an oak tree, that oak tree's going to grow and it's going to endure. And even if it gets chopped down, it's going to be a blessing to people who can make things from it, right? That's the difference in the life. And that will be exposed, we are told. That will be exposed. So how do we apply this? Um, as, as we're making a brief application, if I can get the servers to go back and get prepared for communion. And let me give us a, a couple of applications. Let's read verses 5 and 6. Okay, the wicked are not so, but they're like chaff which the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Verse 5 again, the wicked will not stand in the judgment nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. What's he talking about? He's talking about the evaluation of the life. And he's saying simply this, sooner or later it will be exposed what pathway you've chosen. Say sooner or later. Sometimes it's in this lifetime where foolish decisions are exposed. But he's saying ultimately the choice that we make for God's way or for our own way will be exposed. So how do we choose wisely? The first choice to get on the right path is to choose the way and the truth and the life. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 says this, To those who are the called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, Jesus Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. Jesus says, I am. I am the way. I, I am that pathway of wisdom. I am the wisdom of God. I am the word of God. Believe in me. And the beginning point of wisdom is to listen to God. God says, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And maybe this morning you walked in here and you're not sure if you're on the correct path or not. The beginning point is really simple. It's this, believe. Believe that, that Jesus is in fact the way, the truth, and the life. That when he hung on a cross, he hung there for you, for your sins. His blood that was poured out, his death, was to make a payment for your sins because you can't make a payment, right? None of us are going to make all good choices in life. We're going to make good choices and bad choices, wise and foolish. But the first and fundamental choice that we have to make is to choose for Jesus. Say, I believe. Jesus, I believe that you are the way for me to be reconciled to God, to have my debt of sins removed and to have life that lasts forever. I believe. That's the first choice. And let me encourage you, if you've never made that before, make that today. And if you make that choice today, let me encourage you also to tell a friend. Don't just keep that to yourself, but but talk to someone about that choice that you've made. Or maybe you came in this morning and you chose Jesus, and maybe you chose Jesus years ago, but you've been standing in the path and walking in the way and listening to the counsel, and you've been making those little choices. You didn't wake up one day and say, (laughs) it's time to destroy my life. But you've just been making little incremental changes and you've been walking off the path. 
And life isn't working how you want it to. There's not the same joy and peace and contentment. You know that you know Jesus and you have life that lasts forever, but you're not on that path. And maybe this morning the Spirit is just convicting you of some really specific sin and saying, that needs to stop. Stop that instead. Feast on my word. Meditate. Be with people who speak wisdom into your life. Choose the path of blessing and life. Or maybe this morning you know you are on that, that path. And God's Spirit is inviting you to renew and to refresh your longing to go deep with Him. To not stay superficial, to not allow others to digest the Word for you, but to digest it for yourself. And let God's Word saturate your life so that you are that fragrance of Christ. As the men come forward and serve us, let us just take a few moments and give thanks that Jesus is the one, the way, the truth, and life, who has shown us the pathway of wisdom. And as we take the bread, which symbolizes his body, and the cup, which symbolizes his blood, let's give thanks that he has revealed life to us through him. And let's just take a few moments silently and give thanks, and then we'll take the elements together. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread, he said, this is my body broken for you, do this in remembrance of me. Then he took a cup and said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Jesus, we thank you that you have shown us the way of wisdom. You've shown us the way of life. We thank you that you have made it so simple for us. Just to reach out in faith and say thank you and take your gift. And then, Father... Because of Christ's faithful sacrifice, you sent your spirit to live inside us and dwell within us and guide us and speak to us each day. And I pray, Father, as we begin this summer and as we we practice worship and we learn to worship, that we would learn afresh how to listen to the voice of your spirit. We would not reject his promptings as he puts us on pathway that is, it's life, it's genuine life. It's life of blessing being rightly related to you. It's life of blessing that pours out in goodness and kindness and mercy and truth to others. And I pray, Father, that we would listen and obey because of Jesus Christ.